Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. Please remember to subscribe and download this podcast. And if you can, it would be an immense help to me if you could leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Also, if you enjoy this show, please, please, please help me spread the word and share it with anyone in your life that you think it would be applicable to. Now, today's episode where we try to find that balance between experience and enthusiasm. In the later half of 2021, I attended the final day of the 5A Boys Golf State Tournament. It was hosted at my home course here in Spanish Fork. Uh, the Spanish Fork team was a part of it, which is coached by my friend. So I went to just watch and lend support and also be able to watch some of the finest up and coming golfers that are, are in our state, which is, you know, always a cool thing to be a part of, especially when it's on a course that I understand intricately because I play it day in, day out for years and years and years. So it was a really cool experience in a lot of ways. And one of those was. Being able to watch these people who are half my age that seem to be very unfazed by the moment, which was a stark contrast to what I experience in my own life as I play amateur tournaments. And I just understand the feelings and emotions that are inside you that you have to try and control when you're in a pressure-packed moment within the sport that is virtually all thinking. And then at very precise moments, it's about channeling that into movement. So I'm watching this and I just am, I'm kind of envious because I'm seeing these literal kids and they're smoking drives and hitting these piercing irons and chipping and putting on these greens that I know are fast and scary as hell. And they're doing it from these positions that I go, oh, I know that if you mishit that chip, even by a sliver that you're dead over here or the ball will funnel over here. And they're just hitting all these incredible shots. And it got me thinking, and it's something that I've noticed deeply about younger, talented golfers, that they are able to play more freely than older golfers who possess, you know, the same level of talent. Something that I've noticed within my own golf journey, and it's something that I envy about youth. And if you have talent that you don't know any better a lot of times. You just trust in the talent that you possess. You let it fly and you let it rip and you're never thinking, what happens if I miss this putt? Or what happens if I push this iron a little bit to the right? You're just trusting in what you have. And that's one of the great gifts of being younger and not having an accumulation of experience. So there was this point earlier... Uh, in this golf season. And I'm playing with a guy who his son is a very good uh, younger golfer. And hole 18 at Spanish Oaks. It's a pretty nasty par five, narrow, out of bounds left, hazard right. Just a narrow shoot that you have to hit out of. And so I personally will play an iron off the tee. I'll play it as a three-shot hole, iron, iron, wedge, and try to make a putt. If you're hitting a driver, it narrows the landing zone. So you have out of bounds and you have a hazard and it just makes it really hard to do. And, and this guy that I'm playing with, he's talking about his son who 
for many, many, many rounds, was just able to hit driver off the tee, which again is an incredibly tough and difficult shot, and he would just smash it right down the middle, right down the middle, right down the middle. And then one day, you know, he tugs one out of bounds, and this guy's talking to the group, and he's going, I, I'm kind of flabbergasted, you know, referring to his son, and he's going, I, he used to play this hole so well, and now it's just, he just can't seem to, you know, get things going on it. And I'm thinking about this, and I go, well, yeah, that's kind of, that's how the accumulation of experience works, especially within the game of golf, but it is applicable in all areas. I think we have a tendency to always view experience in a very positive light. Experience comes and we are more knowledgeable and thus we are better equipped to perform efficiently and better in whatever the task is at hand. And golf has kind of taught me in a roundabout way a different way of looking at experience in general because within the sport, you accumulate a lot of scar tissue that can only come with playing repeatedly again and again and again. So what you have at the start is all you know is your talent and your skill and you trust in it. And then the more you play, you hit a bad shot here and there and you think about that and you remember the next time you step up and you remember that the next time you step up and then you hit another bad shot somewhere else and you remember that when you step up. And so it's this continual battle over and over and over of balancing the skills that you know you possess against the experience and scar tissue that can be piled up when you do something over a long period of time. Now, there's a quote that came from Padraig Harrington, very accomplished professional golfer. And at the PGA Championship earlier last year, the one that Phil Mickelson won, Harrington was in the mix, who's also, he's an older golfer and nobody expected him to be there. And after one of the later rounds, he was just kind of asked about, you know, him and Phil being around and it's crazy, these older guys and keeping up with this young crowd that just smashes the ball and they're creaming at 5 million yards. And, and so they're just asking him just, you know, general questions about what's on your mind, essentially. And this is a quote that he offered up that I think is very, very revealing and worthy of discussion. This is what Padraig Harrington said. People often ask in a general term about experience. Well, as you gain experience, you lose innocence. I suppose if you drew a graph, there's a crossing point of equilibrium where you have some experience and a certain amount of innocence and enthusiasm. As you get a little bit older and you get all this experience, on paper, people might think you get better with experience. But as I said, you've seen a few things that you know in your game that you probably never wanted to see, end quote. So this is a great comment for golf. And this is a great comment for other sports. And this is a great comment for wading through life. Because I've also kind of had a shift in my perception of experience in my adult life. Because I viewed it in maybe more naive terms, that solely positive connotation that experience can have. And I kind of viewed it like the more experience that I accumulate, the better off I'm going to be. Uh, the more equipped or the better equipped I am 
going to be to do the things that I want to do. And I found out that in some instances, that is true. Uh, Experience is an all-encompassing sphere, like everything is. And so you're going to have good within that and you're going to have bad within that. What I wasn't necessarily prepared for and what the last decade has shown me, especially the more that I've gotten into golf, but also within my own life, is that many times you accumulate experience and it doesn't serve you in the way that you wish it would. It can cause you to become a little bit more jaded. It can suck out that innocence, which is inevitable. That's just the way that things work but it can suck out some of that enthusiasm that I don't think is as inevitable. I think that's an emotion and thing that we can retain for a longer period of time than innocence. And what golf and life has shown me over the last decade is that experience sometimes can carry a negative weight because it can shine a light on the nature of people, whether that's just the abstract theory of what humanity is or whether that is directly applicable to the people that are close to you in your own life. But it can shine a light on that. And you always want to believe that those things are going to work out and they're in your best interest and the people are going to treat you well and you're going to treat people well. And that's just not true. That's not how life works. Sometimes you're going to screw up and sometimes people are going to screw you over. Um, and life experiences, those are going, those are going to accumulate. Um, you're going to sit there and you're going to have to wade through a lot of negative things. Golf kind of turned me on to this early. The scar tissue is a big thing. And I started to get a better comprehension of that. The more that I played, just, you remember your mistakes, you see, your flaws manifested on the golf course and it's really hard to get those out of your mind. Another thing that I was able to see that was not in my best interest because it caused me to be a little bit more jaded and it sucked some of that enthusiasm that I have out of me for relationships with people is the amount of people who are willing to cheat in the game of golf. It's something I've spoke to a little bit on this show before, but it was a, it was a jarring experience to see that firsthand repeatedly over and over from people, whether they were strangers, whether they are people who I am close with that I golfed with. And I notice it. And I had one experience where I felt compelled to say some stuff and the way that all of that played out, it was demoralizing because I realized most people do this. This is just something that people will feel comfortable doing. And there's nothing that I can really do to control that, you know, goes back to one of the sayings that I like, control what you can control. It's a Bob Rotella golf psychologist line. And (laughs) strangely enough, it's very applicable within that area. You know, I'm far from perfect. I make mistakes in a lot of different ways. Uh, All you can do is try to control what you can control and try to be better the next day than you were the last day. So I saw that within the game of golf. And again, it, it didn't make my life better, that experience those experiences. And in fact, it sucked a little bit of the life and the joy out of me that I have for being around other people. And as time has gone on, that was kind of a precursor of just, this will happen within relationships. Um, People are prone to lie. People are prone to cheat. People are prone to do things that will hurt other people within their life. Maybe at some point in my life, I'm prone to do that. I hope not. 
I hope that I can control what I can control and go out of my way to make sure that I'm not doing that. But this is kind of the nature of people in an abstract way and also what life's experience has shown me. Um, And so that experience, it doesn't align with how I used to view what experience would bring to the table. Doesn't align with what I thought when I was younger, when I was filled with more innocence, especially, and more enthusiasm. And the world is your oyster, and all you have is the talents and that, that you possess, and man, just everything's going to go your way and all that kind of stuff. So going back to the Padraig Harrington quote, which I think is, again, really interesting and worthy of just thinking about and talking about is that idea of if you're trying to control what you can control, how do you personally retain as much of the innocence that you can, but again, that will inevitably leak out of your life, but how do you retain as much innocence and enthusiasm in the onslaught of what experience can bring? If you're drawing that graph, like Harrington said, how do you try and maximize that crossing point, that equilibrium, where you have some experience, you're knowledgeable, you feel competent in these areas, but you also are retaining some of those more youthful traits. Some of those things that you look back on younger people and you go, ah, oh, man, I, I remember when I was like that before a lot of things caused me to maybe be a little bit more jaded. Um, a really harsh manifestation of Harrington's quote was years ago at... The Masters, I remember this vividly. It's one of the things that I think about when I parse through this particular concept. I was at a work event up in Park City. It was during the day. I was at a hotel bar watching the, watching the Masters. It was the first day. And the sound's not on. I'm just chilling, hanging out, talking with people. And I see on the screen, Ernie Els on the first screen. And he misses a five-foot putt, and then he misses a three-foot putt, and then he misses a two-foot putt. And I'm watching it thinking, is this from a practice round? What is going on? This can't possibly be a thing. And he's holding his hands out and looking to his caddy and then missing again. And I'm just kind of squirming in my chair. And so he makes, I believe he makes an eight or something on the whole, just all putts. And after the round, they go and they talk to him and he goes, yeah, you know, I've, he calls them the heebie-jeebies. And he goes, I've, I've struggled with them. You know, it's just, that's something that can accumulate over time. Uh, for whatever reason, if I'm stealing the line from Harrington, you've seen a few things that you know in your game that you probably never wanted to see. That's the negative side of what experience can bring. Like I was speaking to with my comprehension of lying and dishonesty and the willingness that a lot of people are to just indulge in that again and again and again uh, and feel comfortable being that. So the opposite side on this graph is something that I have been thinking about, not just as I was watching this high school golf tournament months ago, but within the realm of professional sports. Because one of the great gifts that sports provide is it allows you to measure time. And so when people come onto the scene that are young and talented and exciting, it's cool to watch them play the sport, but it's also cool to think, what is this person's career going to be like and you can never really know it's only just a, a a waiting game 
you sit and you watch, and you hope that the early manifestation of innocence and enthusiasm and talent that you see, that that, when accumulated with experience, turns into a very special player. Now, that's not always the case. More times than not, uh, that's not really how it works. More times than not, the young and new and exciting thing over the course of time as information and experience accumulates, they start to understand things like, oh, I'm not going to have this body forever and injuries occur. Or, wow, these other professional athletes are really good and maybe I have just a sliver of doubt in my mind about myself that I never had before when I was in high school and in college and I was always the best of the best. Stuff like that. But in the very, very rare instances that you see a transcendent player and you're able to watch their entire career and use that as a measurement of time, you can trace this graph. And you can see the crossing point of equilibrium. You can see where experience and innocence and enthusiasm all meet together and you see the truest manifestation of that player. So one of the people I've been thinking about on the young talented, enthusiastic side is who I consider to be the best defenseman in hockey right now. Kale McCarr of my favorite hockey team, the Colorado Avalanche. And nothing will better represent that kind of special blend of those three things, innocence, enthusiasm, and talent, than Kale McCarr's first NHL goal. It occurred in April 2019, Three days before he stepped onto the ice with the Avalanche for the first time, Kel McCarr was awarded the Hobie Baker Award for the best player in collegiate hockey. And one day before he stepped onto the ice for his first NHL game is when Kel McCarr actually signed his NHL contract. He'd been playing collegiately. They finished. And now he's thrown right into the fire. So a day prior, he signs an NHL contract the next night. He steps into game three of a first-round playoff series. It's tied 1-1. It's the Calgary Flames and the Colorado Avalanche. Flames are the number one seed in the West that year. And it's a pretty pressure-packed situation to throw anybody into the fire. Much less a teenager who has only been playing collegiate hockey, who has not been practicing with the team, who is playing a position that historically is about as hard as it gets to throw a young person in and trust them to be responsibly defensively and to know how to do anything at the speed that the NHL game demands. And instead, we just were privy to a very special moment uh, because Makar scores in the first period of that game with 3.58 left in the first period. His goal pushes the Avs up 3-0, it ends up being the game-winning goal. I still get chills every time I see pictures of it. I see the videos from it. I talk about it into a microphone. It's really one of the hockey moments of the last decade for me. And that's increasing by the day because as I'm starting to chart the bar graph, I'm starting to understand this could be a very, very, very special player because he's accumulating more experience a couple years into his NHL career now. And we've seen a really noticeable growth that Kilmakar is getting better by the day. There's noticeable improvement with not just his understanding of the NHL game, which is a whole thing, but his understanding of how his skills translate within the confines of the NHL game. The ability to rely and trust on that just transcendent talent 
that Makar has. And I think he's starting to grasp that. And rather than looking at the NHL as, man, this is an incredible amount of professional athletes and they're all fast and big and great at doing all these things. I think he's starting to comprehend, I'm better than these people. And just put the puck on my stick and I'll show it. So now we're seeing this improvement in this willingness to lean into the skills that exist, whether it's the edge work, whether it's the skating, whether it's just this supernatural ability that he has to walk the blue line and shimmy shake and just leave people in the dust in a way that I've never seen anyone do on an ice rink. It's like he's playing basketball and people are flat-footed and he's by them. That's what Kel McCarr can do. It's him unleashing his shot as often as possible. It's why he's leading NHL defensemen in goals this season, despite missing a handful of games for COVID and for injury. We're seeing all of that come together. Uh, and we see that kind of distilled into an individual moment on Tuesday night when he scores a goal of the year candidate in overtime against the Blackhawks. A format that just should really suit what Kel McCarr can do because NHL overtime in the regular season, it's three on three. A lot of open ice. And if you have a player who has all those things I mentioned, that edge work, that skating, that elusiveness, that shot that just can go in from anywhere and is disguised about as good as you, it can be disguised, then you set up a person for incredible success in any format, much less that three-on-three. Three. So he's got Kirby Doc on him, and he just, if you haven't watched the goal yet, I would encourage you to go and search for Kel McCarr overtime winner against Chicago Blackhawks because it's incredible. He's looks like he's skating back to the blue line, and in a heartbeat, he's leaving Kirby Doc in the dust, and he's stick-handling his way to this disgusting backhand over Marc-Andre Fleury's blocker right off the roof of the goal and he's celebrating and everybody still doesn't kind of know it went in because they're like what and I was watching at home and my jaws dropping down and I'm going what and that's one of the really exciting moments that you can see out of really young really talented players and as I think down the road and I start to make miniature tracings of a career that I hope is really long and uh, fulfilling for viewers and for people who like hockey as an entertainment product I start thinking about what what can the cross point look like as we accumulate more experience for this person? Does it manifest itself into one of the most incredible hockey players or does experience kind of detract a little? You know, what is the equilibrium of experience and innocence and enthusiasm? What does that look like? Where does it occur? Sometimes you don't necessarily know it until it's gone because it can happen quickly. But if you're a really, really, really special player, you know that it is happening as it is happening. So we'll see. You know, you, know, you just, you watch and you enjoy and you measure time. And that's kind of part of the experience of being a fan of a player, a team, and a sport. It also is applicable within the NFL because there's a combination that I've been thinking about specifically in these terms. Young, talented they don't know any better because why would they? Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase of the Cincinnati Bengals, they're the toast of the NFL this week and rightfully so. They've dominated your talk show discussions, your articles. Burrow's had back-to-back games that are out of his mind. Jamar Chase had one of the best games of the season against the Chiefs on Sunday. And as I watched them, and especially the last couple games, two weeks ago against the Ravens and last week against Kansas City, 
they remind me greatly of how I felt watching this 5A state golf tournament where a lot of these golfers are going to go and play collegiately and they're incredibly talented, but they're just young and they have no reason to distrust their immense physical gifts, which breeds an attitude of let it fly. Don't think about it. For Burrow and Jamar Chase, it boils down to anytime there's one-on-one coverage, just trust it. Burrow's going to put it out there and Chase is going to make a play. We saw that repeatedly again and again and again against the Chiefs. And so they are the toast of the NFL. And we're also trying to comprehend youth, innocence, enthusiasm, talent, What happens when you start to add experience to that? Does it become an incredible cocktail that's smooth that you drink down and you go, that is something special? Or does it become the Molotov cocktail that you you combine and it explodes? There's a lot of people over the course of time who have been young and talented and have burst onto the scene. And you get a few years into that career and you start to comprehend that for whatever reason, whether that's experience being piled on, whether it's, They start to distrust themselves because whatever experience has led them down that road. A lot of people have flamed out. A lot of people don't fulfill what the early promise makes us believe is possible. So I have no idea with the the Bengals duel. Right now, they're going into the NFL playoffs and this entire team is boosted by the swagger of a rookie wide receiver and a second-year quarterback. It's the confidence of youth that you can get a lot of enthusiasm inside yourself when you see it. You can draw on that if you're a teammate and say, these guys are fearless. And experience sometimes takes me down a path where I accumulate fears. That's how life works. They're just things that you start to understand better and you go, oh, I understand that there is a tomorrow. And maybe now I look at things in a little bit of a different way. And the Bengals are going in on the backs of these two who don't have the scar tissue. They don't have the accumulation of experience that causes the mind to say, maybe we can't just throw jump balls 10 times a game. And that's a huge blessing for this team. That's how they've gone from last place in the AFC North early in the season into clinching the division last week. What those careers look like of all three of those people, McCarr, Burrow, Chase, You don't really know. You hope that it always becomes the best. You hope experience is always the positive thing that you add to the mix. More times than not, it is not. More times than not, it will create kind of what Harrington is saying. You'll see things in your game that you've never seen before that you wish you hadn't seen. So I I talked about the measurement of time. And it's one of the most satisfactory things that I get out of watching sports seeing something occur, being able to trace it, like, you know, stars in the night sky, like a constellation. And so as I think about the equilibrium and what it looks like at its very, very best, it's not a lot of people. It's a finite amount because you're talking about the very best in each individual thing. And when I think about the equilibrium of experience and enthusiasm, I think about Aaron Rodgers, a person who I'll be able to talk about more knowledgeably than pretty much any other athlete because he is a person who I followed so damn close ever since, well, when he was at Cal, just because I'm a fan of college football and watched that team, 
But as soon as he came into the league on my favorite team, I'm watching every snap. I'm watching all of his career. And I'm seeing that bar graph happen over the last decade plus. Uh, This year, it looks like it's going to be his fourth MVP, barring something unforeseen. His MVP years, if that comes to fruition, are 2011, 2014, 2020, and 2021. And it's interesting looking back on his career in the terms that Harrington lays out, the bar graph, the equilibrium. Where does it occur? How does it occur? And I look back on 2011 Rodgers, his first MVP season, and it's very representative of the Kale McCarr, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase stage of life, of his existence, where he just hasn't had reason to doubt his immense physical gifts. So he's just going to let it rip. It's his fourth year starter at the time. He's coming off Super Bowl MVP, and he just torches the regular season that year in 2011 with his feet, with his right arm, with his brain. From a physical perspective, I maintain that 2011 is about as breathtaking of a season as you could possibly find from a quarterback. It's where everything is aligned physically. And I remember feeling in 2014, his second MVP season, three years later, more time has passed, more experience has been accumulated, and I start to notice a little bit more of a reliance upon the mind. Part of that is fueled by a calf injury that he sustains down the stretch of that season, the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, that caused him to have to stay in the pocket a little bit more, have to trust his reads a little bit more. Rodgers' early career was marked a lot by playground football, by just this genius almost of being able to make things up on the fly, that it didn't matter what the play was, Rodgers could just dance around on the pocket and run for 20 yards if he needed or dance around in the pocket and roll out to his left and throw across his body 40 yards downfield to a broken off route to Randall Cobb or Jordy Nelson or Greg Jennings. 2014, I start to see a little bit more of, okay, there's a sliver more of traditional quarterbacking worked in here. Again, part of that is worked in by the understanding that your physical body will not always be what it was in your youth. Calf injury in 2014. So then we fast forward six more years. And you see years where he's injured, he breaks his collarbone in one. He's just getting older in general. And everybody goes, "Ah, I think that the time has come. He's on his way out. And instead, LaFleur comes in. And last year, he wins an MVP. This year, it looks like he's winning an MVP. And in my opinion... We're seeing the equilibrium of that bar graph. We're seeing the full evolution that experience can bring on the positive side when you pair it with talent. I would encourage everybody to watch how often Aaron Rodgers takes the play clock down near zero right now in present day. This has not always been the case, but he's really leaned into this over the last few years. It's very different from most quarterbacks that you'll watch in football. And Rodgers does that for a variety of reasons. Um, It gives him a lot of time. They'll get up and get set with 15 seconds, 12 seconds, and he can hard count green 18, green 18, which increases the opportunity for the possibility of a free play, which we all know Aaron Rodgers is the master of that. He's been that for a long time. 
Um, you're never going to see him waste a free play like other quarterbacks do. Defense jumps off sides. Every single time, it's going to be a shot down the field. It's going to be 30 yards or more, just ripping it down in single coverage and giving a chance to his receiver to make a play. Now, part of this process, it involves other things. Because teams know that the Packers play at a slow pace. They're one of the slowest paced teams in the league. Again, it ties into the clock is always going down near zero. And this opens up another door. It opens up the opportunity for Green Bay to rush to the line on very rare occasions and catch the opposition in a substitution, which you will see occasionally in random games, which is another chance at a free play. Normally, they break the huddle and they go slowly up to the line and Rodgers is surveying the scene. Then he's green 18, green 18, green 18. Then he's checking to this, checking to that green 18. And the defense gets used to that cadence. And so their substitution patterns are aligned with that cadence. And so every once in a while, Green Bay will understand that and Rodgers will understand that. And when they break the huddle, they rush to the line. And if they catch him in a substitution and a defender still running off the field, that's another chance at a free play. That's another shot at a downfield pass. So all of this ties together into the running down of the play clock, which doesn't seem that important. But for me, who's just a nerd, and I really like the nuance that goes into sports in general, and I love the nuance that goes into understanding a player's career and seeing the ways that they have evolved as a player. That's representative of experience being factored in positively. And Rodgers being able to take that and use it as kind of a compounding component to accentuate what the talent and the enthusiasm to accentuate what is already there. Because running the play clock down, yes, it's great. You can try to get these free plays, but at its most base form, it is about maximizing the amount of information that Rodgers is able to take in. Rodgers, who has a supercomputer mind, who everybody, you'll see all sorts of former players talk about that. Rodney Harrison last week, who works for NBC, one of the better safeties of his era, he's speaking to that specific part of Rodgers' game and just saying he sees the field in a way that I don't really know anybody does. We always rave about his all-time arm, which he still possesses. The, the legs, they've diminished because he's gotten older. He's not as elusive as he once was. He can't run as fast as he once did. His arm is awesome, as good as it's ever been. But he's been able to make up for the elusiveness and stuff with the mind, the experience. Because I've noticed in the later stages of his career, especially look over the last two years, these two MVP-style seasons, and he's leaned a lot more into the cerebral side of football. He's using his brain as more of a weapon rather than just trusting in that backyard style. Just snap the ball to me. I don't care. I will make do with my immense physical gifts. Doesn't matter what's happening. It's not to say that he didn't comprehend and wasn't using his brain before, but I think experience has shown him this is a way to be able to win consistently that just allows you to have a longer career. You're not getting your collarbone broken. You're hopefully not getting injured because you're running around in the pocket and getting smashed. You're able to accumulate information by letting the play clock run down, understand where the safety is, understand what the line's doing, call out protections, change to a different play if needs be, and then know that you're in the best position to succeed. That's what experience can bring on the positive side. Because in some cases, 
experience can open the door to possibility. And sometimes that doesn't even involve Rodgers making a play. It could be as simple as he's checking into a run because he's hard counted, the defense has shown their hand, and he understands this is going to be a lighter box. And do you know who's really good at running the football? Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in this offensive line. They can move people. And so I'm going to check into a run because they present problems to the defense in their own right. So let's trust in that. Let's trust in the framework of this offense. Or he hard counts and gets the defense to show their hand and they show that they're going to be mugging the line and they're already in a run play. And you'll see a couple times a game, they're in a run and he'll just take a snap and throw it as fast as he can out to Devontae Adams because he knows he's got a blocker next to him and it's built into the framework of the play. Everybody's blocking for a run. Aaron Jones is running right for a run. And instead, he just snaps it, quick throw, go and run for seven yards. Easy seven yards to get. This is what experience can bring, again, on the positive side. All-encompassing sphere. That's how I think about pretty much everything. Pre-snap information is what unlocks Rodgers' ability to do this. It's information. Which, when accumulated and practiced upon enough that becomes experience. And experience, when you pair it with the talent and enthusiasm that Rodgers possesses for playing football, that translates into the very best player in the game. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Please remember to subscribe and download this show. And if you can, give it a five-star rating and review on iTunes. That would help me immensely. Additionally, if you know anybody in your life who enjoys sports, who you think would enjoy this show, please share it with them and help spread the word. Thank you and enjoy your day.